Well, gang, I am so privileged to be with you all tonight. Um, I really have been, uh, I've been on a, a trip this week. I'm not going to call it a vacation. The vacation's in a couple of weeks, but I got to go on a trip this week uh, to, with my wife's uh, grandmother's house in Clarksville, Arkansas, which is up in the Ozark Mountains. Um, it's a little town of about 10,000 people, and you know, one of the things that's really awesome about getting to go to a small town and getting away from Cyprus is getting away from 290. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, every day, it's like, what exit is going to be open? And hey, maybe Mushki's open the day. And you know what? Nope, no, it's not. I'm going to go all the way down to Skinner and double back to Cracker Barrel. And, you know, would they quit tearing up all the exits at the same time, all right? I mean, it's driving me crazy here. But I think one of the things that I've noticed in my years as I've traveled and gotten to go to these small towns, um, I think it's really good to be able to get away and just get away from that, that fast pace of life that we have and just get a little perspective. We, we had a chance while we were up there, we took a trip up to this mountain. It's called Mount Magazine. And Mount Magazine is actually the highest elevation in the entire state of Arkansas, 3,000 feet. So not that tall, but when you live in Cyprus and your highest elevation is your driveway, you know, you kind of get excited about even 3,000 feet, you know. So we're there. I think there's a picture of me up on Mount Magazine. One of the things that I love when I go up on top of a mountain is I love being able to see just the view of where I've driven to get up to the top of that mountain. You know, right behind me, I mean, literally right behind me, there's about a probably 400-foot cliff that, you know, my wife was considering pushing me over for a minute, I think, you know, but, um, but it, was, it was just amazing to look out and see the vista and just have that overview of everything in the valley. And I think that's kind of like a nice spiritual parallel of what our time with God is supposed to be like when we get away with him and we're able to just kind of slow down, breathe, kind of just get some perspective. Pastor Mark, you know, he's been taking us through a series called His Story. And he's been taking us through different stories in the Bible, just talking about God's story and how it's, uh, it's God's story for us. Uh, so tonight we're going to hear another great story. We're going to hear about someone who was confronted with the truth of the gospel for the very first time in his life. And, and in today's message, we're going to be talking a little bit about what I'm going to call spiritual breathing, okay? And, and, and we know that there's three parts of God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three separate individual beings, but part of one whole. So for the point of our discussion today, as, as I'm talking to you, and this isn't like a literal analogy, okay, but just kind of go with me there. Think of God as kind of like our physical bodies. The Bible even talks about the fact that we're made in his image, right? And then I want you to think about Jesus kind of as the blood that flows through our bodies. The Bible talks about without the shedding of blood, there's no payment for sin. And if we didn't have Jesus come and die on the cross and shed his blood, we wouldn't even be able to have relationship with God. But the Holy Spirit, I want you to kind of, for the purposes of just analogy tonight, think of that as like oxygen. The Holy Spirit is the breath of life that lives inside of us, that what we're going to be talking about tonight, about how the Holy Spirit comes in for the first time, how what the Holy Spirit begins to change in our lives when that happens, and what we're going to find out is that it's not just small changes. When we really begin to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our life, it's actually something that I'm going to use tonight. I'm going to call it radical life change. So our story begins and we're going to be talking about a man who was doing something that he really thought was the right thing, but it was for all the wrong reasons. He was kind of controlled by anger and by pride, and he was confronted with the truth of this situation, of what he was headed down 
by some circumstances that were really kind of beyond his control. If you've ever had that happen to you before where just God just kind of pauses time and makes you just kind of stop and breathe and kind of look at things, that's what happened to this guy. He, he's, he's probably the, one of the more famous people in the entire Bible. He wrote more books in the Bible than anyone else, at least 13 that we know of. Um, he was probably the person that was the most responsible for pushing the gospel beyond the Jewish nation to the Gentiles. Of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, but before he was the Apostle Paul, his name was actually Saul, and he was one of the earliest and the greatest persecutors of the early church. So our story opens up in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can follow in the notes or on the screens. And just to kind of set the stage for you, Jesus has gone back to heaven, all right? And the early church is kind of beginning to shape place, and they're, they're undergoing great persecution from both the Jewish leaders and the Romans. And there was a guy named Stephen who was the very first martyr, the first person to be killed for his faith. And when he was stoned to death by a bunch of of Jewish people, the person that they set all the coats at the feet of was a guy named Saul. And that was was really important, symbolic in Jewish time. If they set the coats at the feet of a person while a person was being stoned, that person that uh, had the coats set at his feet, that meant that he was given his approval to what was going on. So this is the very first mention we hear of Saul is him overseeing the death of Stephen. But nothing else has really been mentioned about him until Acts 9. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So what we see here, this is a guy who is pretty much determined to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. Okay, he was pretty well known um, in Christian circles. He was kind of like public enemy number one. He was the guy that you didn't want to meet in the back alley. Saul was a bad dude. And he was headed to Damascus to round up all the Christians there and throw them into jail. And, you know, I have to think that given what God had planned for his life, and, and what he wanted him to do, I have to think that at some point God had probably already been trying to talk to Saul. Maybe it was through the pleas of the people that he was, he was imprisoning or having killed. Maybe it was in his dreams. Maybe it was through other people in his sphere of influence. Whatever the case was, Saul had not been listening up to that point, but God was determined to speak to him. And here's what happened next. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. So I mean, this is a pretty intense moment here. I mean, I got to tell you, if if I got knocked to the ground by a loud voice from heaven and a light, whatever that thing said to do next, I would do it, okay? But, you know, what's interesting is that it doesn't just stop there, and I think that's probably because God understood that Paul was a little bit stubborn, and maybe he would have just written it off as like a really weird spiritual experience or something, because listen to what happens next. It says, Saul picked himself up off the ground, so he's getting back up, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. For whatever reason, when Saul gets up off the ground, his physical vision is gone. He can't see anymore. He can't even see to move at all. 
I think, just my personal belief, is that God wanted Saul in that moment to be totally dependent on him. See, one of the things that happens when we first have our encounter with the Holy Spirit is that when God's breath, and that's what we're going to call it tonight, God's breath, the Holy Spirit, first comes inside of us, what happens, it's because we're able to see our need for him. We're able to see our need for him. I remember watching both of my sons, Joel and Jonathan. They're now 19 and 17. And I remember watching both of them as they came into the world. And, and you know, I made the mistake of, of, you know, standing a little too close to the action on the second one. But, uh, you know, I remember watching them come out and watching them gasp for that very first breath. I was actually reading about this from a medical journal this week. And this is what a medical expert wrote. He said the, the most profound change at birth is the baby's first breath. At this point, the baby's lungs, which were filled with fluid during pregnancy, must suddenly fill with oxygen from the air. The fluid in the lungs is removed through the blood and lymph system and is replaced by air. The baby's lungs must be able to exchange oxygen for carbon dioxide, but at the same time, vigorous blood circulation in the lungs will begin. The first few breaths, catch this, the first few breaths after birth may be the most difficult breaths that a baby will take for the rest of their life. So you can understand that when a baby has that loud scream, right, it's because they're struggling for that first breath. But part of that process, beyond the first breath, there's an umbilical cord, right, that they're attached to the, to the mother. And that umbilical cord has to be severed. I, I think it's that severing of the old way of being in the mother's womb to coming out into new life. That's kind of the picture of what God asks us to do when we first step into relationship with him. We're severing our ties with the world and we're stepping into relationship with him. And just like a baby needs those first few breaths to kind of expel the fluid out of the lungs, we have to have that breath of the Holy Spirit to come inside of us to help us take those first few, I would even say difficult first breaths as we step into the journey. Because the second thing that happens is when God's breath, the Holy Spirit, speaks to us and we listen, we begin to see things from a completely different perspective. We begin to have a whole different line of sight. I, I think it's interesting that before Saul gets to hear the message of the gospel in this story, he spends three full days, three days, just sitting there waiting, hanging out. You know, if we'll allow it, the Holy Spirit is really good at, at kind of preparing our hearts to kind of know what the next thing is, but I can tell you most of the time in my life, I kind of have to be still for that. I kind of have to be in a place of waiting a little bit, and that's, that's a little bit hard for me. You know, I don't know if you're like me, you know, but I have a hard time sitting still. I think that's one of the things I love here at Community of Faith is, you know, worship kind of does that. That's a great example. You know, the whole purpose of worship is to prepare our hearts for the message. Even some of the songs they sang tonight, it's gonna be kind of some of the things I'm talking about tonight. It's, it's that preparing, but we kind of have to, when you come in off the street and you've kind of been busy, it's kind of hard to just kind of slow down and settle down. And if you're like me, sometimes I just have a really hard time just sitting still. I remember being on vacation and planning my next vacation and my wife going, hey, can we just enjoy this vacation? That would be awesome, you know? And we just got back from our trip and, and, and I had kind of one of those moments. We were, uh, we were we, we'd kind of been on the go all week and family was kind of tired and, you know, they were like, let's just hang out at the hotel tonight. And of course, I'm like, you know, man, we got some, we got one more night, of, you know, of our trip. You know, let's get out to a baseball game. Let's go do something really fun in the area. So I go and I park the car and I'm running upstairs to get Lisa and the kids. 
and I'm looking at my phone, and man, I just face plant. I trip, I roll this ankle completely sideways, I, I split this left knee open. I mean, I look like a homeless person walking through the, that lobby, like with blood pouring out of my leg and, and just limping everywhere. And these people look at me like, what is going on here? At any rate, we ended up staying at the hotel that night. <laughs> we ended up staying in. And I'm not saying God put that crack there for me, but he actually used that circumstance in my life to kind of get me to slow down a little bit. I actually had the most relaxing night of the whole trip, probably the funnest time that we had. I think sometimes we've just got to stop, we've got to breathe, and embrace a new perspective. Let's keep reading. It says there was a believer in Damascus whose name was Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I think it's incredible in this story that the Holy Spirit is actually talking to two different people in two different locations about the exact same thing. Ananias is already a Christian, so he's already kind of in a posture to hear from God. He's already in a place to receive this message from God. But I I think it's interesting about what's happening in Saul's life. The verse says that God told Ananias that Saul was praying to him at that very moment. At that very moment. It took him three days to probably set aside, to kind of decompress from what in the world just happened, and that was a blinding light, and now I'm blind and I can't see, and just to go, God, I can't do this. I've heard Pastor Mark say it over and over again, how it's just about beginning to lean back and relax into the journey with Christ. We have to do that. The third thing that happens when we start our journey with God and we begin to have the Holy Spirit was when God's breath, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, the relationships around us change. You know, as a counselor, I think this is one of the things when I'm counseling new Christians, I think it's one of the hardest things is learning which relationships you can still keep and which ones maybe you need to lay aside. You know, we're so used to our old way of living with the, with the people that we actually love and that we care about. And I, I think it's interesting here that there's no mention of the companions um, that had originally accompanied Saul to Damascus. Whether they got scared and just left or whether they went on to go persecute Christians or whatever, they're not there anymore. And one of the things that I think God asks us to do when we step in and we begin to have the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life is we have to be willing to lay down some relationships that may not be the best ones for us. Now, here's the thing. There's a huge difference between someone who's open to God and we're quietly ministering to them and loving on them versus someone that's totally closed off and they just keep dragging us back into our old habits and our old stuff. We have to be willing to trust God that if we step away from those relationships, number one, that he loves them and that he cares about them, but number two, that he's gonna bring the right people into our lives. He actually did this for Saul. Let's listen to what happens next. It says, so Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales 
fell from Paul's eyes, and he regained his sight. God sent Ananias into Saul's life at the right time for the right purpose. And I think especially since Saul was blind, he was probably a little bit scared as Ananias began to pray that prayer over him. But him allowing that to happen and leaning into it, relaxing into that, and putting aside those relationships that had, that had got him gone, going down the bad path, I think it was probably in that moment, as his physical eyes came back, I also think that's probably the point where Saul stepped into relationship with God for the very first time, where he made Jesus the boss of his life. But here's the cool part about this story. It doesn't just stop there. It's not like, oh, that's so cool, man. He was blind, now he can see, now he's asked Jesus in his heart, and now he can just go live his life. No, because number four, when God's breath, the Holy Spirit, enters our life, our actions change. Everything changes because we are no longer dead in our sins. You see, it's not just enough to pray a prayer and then go back to our old ways. When we really allow the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us, you know something? We're never the same. The first step of this journey is baptism, just like it was for Saul. It even says in the very next verse, it says, then he got up and he was baptized. There's something powerful that happens when we lay aside our pride and even for some of us, maybe we've been hurt by church in the past or we've, you know, had a tradition that we've kind of hung on to for a long time and we step into baptism. After the service today, we're gonna be having our celebration of baptism. For some of you, this may be your day. You've been putting it off for a really long time and it may be the very thing that is blocking the Holy Spirit of coming into your life and filling you and living this radically changed life. I want you to see what happened to Saul right after he was baptized. It, it wasn't like a small moment in his life. It wasn't like, oh, he went under and he got baptized again. It was radical life change. Listen to this. It says, afterward, he ate some food and he regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God indeed. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? I mean, this is literally a guy that less than a week ago was going to Damascus to imprison and kill Christians. And now he's going into the synagogues and he's preaching the gospel. Now he's going and challenging people to step into the journey. I stress this because some of you may have grown up in church, maybe you even prayed a prayer, maybe even got baptized as a child but you haven't experienced, you know, you haven't experienced the radical life change that I'm talking about that comes with that breath of life from the Holy Spirit coming inside of you. I'm challenging you to consider today as I talk, maybe you haven't stepped into the journey yet. Maybe you haven't. I want you to listen to a really good friend of mine, Cassie, her story that might be a little bit like yours. When I was little, um, our pastor lived right down the street and so was the church. And that was the church that my mom cleaned for a long time. And then um, she became my Sunday school teacher. And as I grew up, we continued to go to the same Lakeside Assembly. My friend Kimber, the pastor's daughter, and I had been friends for years. And I watched her get baptized at church. And later on, we went to our very first church camp. And of course, they do the call the last night of camp. And uh, I wasn't sure why I was getting baptized. I just felt like the right thing to do because everybody else was doing it. Um, when they called and 30 of your peers are walking up there, you kind of go with the flow. So at camp, 
um, they go through all of the steps and then if you get baptized that it washes away all your sins and that you are gonna you're going to heaven after you get baptized so of course all of us are 10 11 years old and you think yeah i'm gonna go get in this water and i'm gonna go to heaven jesus is gonna take me back so as junior high and high school passed um, i just felt like i had been baptized and no matter what i was going to be fine so uh, high school rolls around and, and side fair and i feel like my friends are doing things that i really wanted to do um, i was out partying and drinking at a young age and just not really doing the things that i should have but i was loving on people i was giving back i was volunteering um, i just felt like if i was a good person because i did my baptism that i would still go to heaven just been finished with school. I really wanted to get Cade dedicated. I was a single mom. His biological father had walked away, and I thought, I just really need to get him dedicated. I needed to do the right thing. I need him to go to heaven, and I need to protect him. And so I went to the church my parents were attending at the time and asked them to do dedication. And they told me, because I was an unwed mom, that there was a they weren't going to do it. They weren't going to let him be part of their baby dedication. And from that point on, I just decided being a Christian wasn't worth it. These people are supposed to love you. And they didn't care. If it wasn't for Aaron and Lisa uh, inviting my parents to community of faith, then I probably would have never stepped in a church again, ever. Baptism has to be so much more. It has to be really committing that you're going to make some real changes and that you really are asking for forgiveness for those sins and um, you really just want Jesus to just kind of take over. And it's always funny to me how we say, oh, we're going to let him be the boss of our life, but you really have to make that conscious decision that he's going to be the one that takes control and you're going to take the back seat. And it's not going to be the other way around anymore. Seeing how my life has changed since deciding to take the next right step and be baptized has changed everything. The first time I ever told one of the kids about my baptism, she went home and she prayed a lot and she was in junior high and she came back and said, I'm ready. Everything that you said is what I want for my life. And being able to tell her that from the point of view of somebody that did it for the wrong reasons first, to tell her all the right reasons that I did it this time, made a difference. You know, that's a great story. I've known Cassie for about 17 years now. Her, her, her parents, Rick and Karen, were my next-door neighbors for seven years in Cypress Point. And, and I have to tell you that the life change that's happened in her life, she works on our staff now um, here at Community of Faith in our elementary team, and it's, it's radical. It's not just small. You see, the Christian life, when it's lived full out, it's not mundane, it's not boring, it's not checking a box and going to church every once in a while. It's radical life change. For some of you, that you just need to stop striving on this, and today's your day just to step into baptism. We even, at information booth out in the lobby after the service, they've got a change of clothes if you're not ready. I mean, they're ready for you today. And you can just go out there and join us out there. Don't let your pride get in the way, okay? Even if you don't have your clothes today, okay? Because laying down our pride, that's one of those, remember I was talking about those difficult first few breaths that you have, the baby takes? That's one of those difficult first breaths is just laying down our pride because when God's breath comes to live inside of us, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, there's no more room for our pride. 
For the sake of time, I, I can't read the rest of chapter nine, but I'm gonna just kind of summarize what happens next. Saul begins to preach the gospel um, with lots of passion. And he, he preaches it so passionately that he, he actually gets all of the Jewish leaders mad at him and they're conspiring to kill him. So after that, you know, the, the believers, they're all kind of afraid of him too because of his, you know, his previous story, but also he just is getting in debates with everybody, even these like Greek Jews that then they conspire to murder him. And so, you know, there's all these people that want to kill him and then just people who don't like him. And, and, and basically the, the, the Christian leaders at the time kind of gather around Saul and for lack of better terminology, kind of in a nutshell, they say, hey, Saul, I think it'd be really good if you like went to a safe house for a while and just kind of like, went away that would be awesome if you could do that but you're awesome you're awesome and here's what it says happened this is one of the funniest verses in the bible to me acts chapter 9 verse 30 it says when the believers heard about this they took him to caesarea and they sent him away to tarsus his hometown the church then this is after saul left had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. So here's the guy who wrote more books in the Bible than anyone else, and yet he had this moment where God was trying to show him something. It's not about you. It's time for you to lay down your pride. Some people speculate that it was probably about a two-year period that that happened between when they sent him off to Tarsus, and then he began his mission work, but what you notice when Saul comes back is that there's some pretty significant changes that have taken place in him. One of the big changes is the fact that he, in Acts chapter 13, he begins to be referred to as Paul and not Saul, which, you know, seems like a small little thing, except Saul was his Hebrew name, that was his Jewish name, and that had a very regal connotation, a very, you know, powerful reputation in the Jewish community. But the word Paul, his Roman name, meant little or small and some scholars believe that this was because he wanted to make himself small he even says i must decrease so that he can increase if you listen in first timothy his his stance on his life and his ministry has completely changed this is in first timothy this is there in your notes chapter one it says i thank christ jesus our lord who's given me the strength to do his work he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though i used to blaspheme the name of christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, Paul is no longer prideful. He no longer has all of the answers. He even goes so far as to call himself the worst of sinners. He understands that it's only through his personal relationship with God that he's even worthy to share the gospel with others. It's not because of his own knowledge or his social status, but it's because of his personal relationship. You see, number six, when God's breath, the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives and resides in us, it's through a personal relationship. It's not someone else's. You know, it might be hard to picture this, but you know, if Paul had stopped short at letting Ananias just pray over him and had not taken that next step into baptism and making Jesus the boss of his life, he would have never written 13 books. It wasn't about Ananias' prayer. It was about him stepping into the journey. You see, for some of us, 
Maybe we've grown up in church and we had a grandparent or a parent who told us about God, but we have to step into the journey ourselves. Here's the best illustration I can, I can give you. Uh, my wife and I, uh, tomorrow, will be celebrating our 23rd wedding anniversary, 23 years together as a couple. So yeah, yeah, clap for her. She's the one that's had to live with me for 23 years. Don't clap for me. Um, we always say we're going to party at Lisa's house in heaven because she's had to live with me her whole life. So y'all come over to Lisa's in eternity. It's going to be amazing. She's going to have a pool and everything. But, you know, over the course of 23 years, you know, if you've been married as long as we have, you know that your partner often tries to change things about you, usually to no avail unless you actually, you know, want to change. And there's always been this one thing about me that Lisa's always wanted to change, and that's to turn me into a person who loves dogs, Okay. Um, she has not been successful, okay? So for the first 23 years, we've had probably about four or five dogs in our lives over the course of those first 22 years. And, you know, if there was a Facebook status with my dogs, it would say it's complicated for sure, okay? Um, I remember we had one particular dog that I gave a nickname to. I called this little, little girl her name. I called her Debit Dog because she constantly debited from my bank account with her medical bills and her chewing. Um, so earlier this year, our, our oldest son went off to college. My youngest son got his driver's license and began to kind of explore freedom. And we weren't quite empty nests, but more empty nests than we'd ever been before. And our, our, our little debit dog, Joy, uh, went to be up in doggy heaven. And, you know, I was sad for, for them and a little bit sad for Joy. And, and you know, but, you know, I was not in the, in the interest of getting another debit dog, you know, back into our lives. So, of course, a few weeks later, my wife asks me, she says, can we just go look? You know what that means, right? So we come home with the puppy. I think I got a picture of him here. This is, um, this is our little Rudy. Okay, he's the new guy at the house. He's a dachshund. Um, in his first few weeks at the house, he made Debit Dog look like an amateur, okay? <laughs> he chewed on my mouth guard, you know, chewed it up. The dentist was like, how did he do that? That's so amazing. Uh, he chewed my hats that I got to wear one time. He decorated our carpet upstairs with all kinds of spots. It's, it's awesome. But in the middle of this process of upheaval and a new puppy and all of this, I think partially because my kids were leaving, partially because he's, wherever he's at, he's really cute. 